In Jesus' name, amen. Um, anybody who uh, knows me well uh, knows that I am, I am a, a studier. Like if I, if I have a new hobby or a new challenge or a new problem or anything, I, my first step is to, is to learn as much as possible about it. In fact, actually, like I, that's how I learned to fix cars. I, uh, I bought a $250 car that broke down before I got it out of the gas station parking lot that I bought it, where I bought it, and, and I, uh, I bought a book, and I read everything I could read about you know, repairing cars, and, and I, I hung out at the auto parts store and asked questions of anybody who would answer them, and, and I, I studied and learned, and that's how I learned how to fix cars. I don't know anybody else who, who did it that way. Most people, you, know, you learn from your dad or your uncle or hanging around the shop or because you're stuck somewhere and you have to or what have you. And, and, but I, 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 I love studying up on things. Um, and so when we took our job here, uh, when we interviewed, actually first applied and interviewed, I, I studied Big Sandy from afar. Uh, <laughs> it's true, Jess, isn't it? Um, I, I recall like doing a search on Big Sandy, Montana. One of the first things that came up was the Christmas parade. It was a 30-second video um, of the Christmas parade. I think it went twice. Um, <laughs> um, and and uh, I think uh, and Solova here, she, she recorded it. And, and actually, she's like, oh, it's over already. And, she, you know, um, and I, I read about where the name Big Sandy came from, uh, which I, I'm not making this up. What, what I read online was that it was named after a bar that was Big Sandy's bar. Um, I don't know if it's true. I assumed it had a lot to do, now that I've lived here a while, I know it's because, you know, the sand. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I read about, like, the, the income and the cultural makeup and the crime rates and everything else, and, and I knew about as much as I could possibly know from the Internet when I moved in here. Um, and, and actually, when we came out and interviewed, I, I, I knew a bunch of stuff, but I'll tell you, um, I learned a lot more about Big Sandy the first time that uh, the Bitses aren't here, so I'll pick on them. Uh, the first time they, they, you know, the first morning we were here and we got up early and we went out and, and uh, um, watched uh, Larry handle cattle, you know, out in the snow and, and uh, mud and, and other stuff. Um, um, it was, it was a, a, a different picture of Big Sandy than I got from looking on the Internet. Does that make sense? I, I came to know Big Sandy much better by going to the, the chili feed the first time. Um, or or um, just one of the hundred other things that you all do in this town. Um, after four years here, I know that if you want to have a large gathering of Big Sandians, you need to serve food, right? And you need to be sure it's not during harvest or planting. Also, am I right? Um, I know that if you serve coffee, people will stand around and talk for about an hour. Sound right? Um, I know that when you talk, you have to be very careful because if you step on someone's toes, people are probably going to remember it until after, like, their grandchildren are gone. Am I wrong? Um, I, I have learned that if you do not have a, um, enough gas, you are in trouble. Right? Like, if, you, if you're passing by Fort Benton and you think, oh, I know it's at an eighth of a tank... I'll be all right. I don't need to stop here. No, you need to stop because there ain't nowhere else to stop. Does that sound right? Um, I know Big Sandy in a very different way now than I did for my, you know, 12 plus hours of reading the Internet. I even re read the, the, the newspaper, the Big Sandy uh, uh, 
mountaineer. <laughs> How could I possibly have tripped over that better? <laughs> I, I like the columns. I, I like the newspaper columns. I love that. I, I read it online. You can read it online, apparently. Very old issues. But I, I, I didn't know about, you know, I didn't know about the Pioneer until I moved here and I got to know Robbie and I got to know the other folks and I got to know... <laughs> and y'all have gotten to know me and you know that I'm probably going to get your name wrong. It doesn't matter how long I've known you, I'm going to stumble over it. I might be officiating your wedding. <laughs> And I might call you Mike instead of Mark. Um, <laughs> you, you never know, because as much as you all knew me from my resume, there's a whole other like world to know if you get to know me, right? Um, as we dive into our text today, as we look in into the, the book we're starting, we're going to be doing First John. Um, I, I should be jumping back to the Gospel of John, but I decided that that um, we're going to do some of John's letters and then go back to the Gospel of John later. Um, so we're going to be doing First John, and as, as we dive into this, one of the big themes in this book is is knowing Jesus for who He really is, right? And like the ways that that works, and and how that um, manifests itself in like our everyday life. And we're only going to be looking at four verses. It's John's preliminary summary, so four verses. It'll be about an hour and a half. Does that sound right? In Eric time. Or five minutes in Eric Times, like an hour and a half. But a little background before we jump into it. Um, John is writing this letter. He is an old man by this point. John is the only one of the disciples who died of natural causes. All the rest of the disciples um, were, well, Judas hanged himself, and the rest of them were either, uh, you know, run through with a spear or crucified or uh, beaten to death or what have you. All of them died like martyrs except for John. John died an old man. And by this point, he is. He is fairly old, and he's writing these letters. Um, it's one of the more, actually, it's one of the last books in the Bible that was written. Uh, Revelation probably being the last uh, last one, but, but John is near the end. Um, Peter and Paul are both dead by this point, probably. And, and um, so John's writing this letter to a group of churches, or possibly to an individual church. It's not really clear, but like the assumption is that it was several. But these are folks that are dealing with false teachers that had like sort of infiltrated the church. But most likely they were members who had left because they began to disagree. And they, they started coming back around and saying, hey, what about these ideas? What about this stuff? And really what it came out of was at the time you had all of these mystery religions, right? And they were called mystery religions. It sounds very exciting. Um, and, and what they would be is they'd be these little cultic groups, and they all had sort of related stuff, and they eventually moved into the, grew into the Gnostic movement. If you know anything about history, that's kind of the root of this. Um, and so, like, like, these mystery religions, like, Christians would look at what they believed, and they would say, man, we like this, but the mystery religions, there's some cool stuff going on there. What if we, like, incorporate it? We'll just blend it in a little bit, and we'll make our faith into a little more like what that faith is. And so, like, all of the trouble that was happening at the time was related to sort of the blending of these mystery religions. Um, and so as we go forward in this, like, be aware, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about these false teachings. Um, it's not exactly clear what's going on, but it seems to relate to the idea that Jesus um, was God, right? Like, we... The Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, since forever, like we have taught that 
Jesus is God. He is one with God. He is, he is um, of the same essence. He is a different person from the Father and the Son, but they are all one God together. It's the Trinity. And like the earliest heresies all the way up until like now um, sort of tear at this idea that Jesus was either not God or he was separate from God or he was not fully man or what have you. They had all this crazy stuff. And this is the beginning of this. And so John is going to address this, and we'll dig into that a little bit as we go. Um, also, the idea that Jesus' death is the atonement for sin. And like the idea here, if, if you've been going here for a while and you've never heard this, then you've slept a lot. Um, Jesus died for our sins. Like every rotten, horrible, nasty, mean, bad, wicked, selfish, awful thing I've done, and all that stuff that you've done, like Jesus takes punishment for that when he dies on the cross. Like, we never have to face up to God for our wickedness because Jesus took punishment for us and we're redeemed through that death, through, like, his dying for us. And these are the big messages John is going to put forward, um, and they're going to kind of hit over and over again in this book. But we're going to start in the beginning, um, and John starts with John 1.1. 1, 1. He did not add the verse numbers. That was later. But we're going to learn a little bit about Greek today. This is the beginning of the sentence. And in Greek, this was one sentence, okay? Any of y'all ever read like a, like a junior high school paper where one sentence takes like six pages? Um, it's like that. Only in Greek, when you do that, it changes the meaning of the sentence as you go. So like it loses some of the weight, and it's important to understand that as we dive into it. Okay, that which was from the beginning. Now, I'm going to pause there. Oh, this is going to take forever. He hasn't even gotten through a whole sentence yet. Um, <laughs> um, that which was from the beginning. Now, John starts with this because one of the big messages here is um, that Jesus always was, right? He is what theologians would call pre-existence, meaning like God did not create Jesus. He was not like one time not there and then suddenly there, like Titus, my little boy. He, there was a point in time when Titus was not here. And then Titus was suddenly here, right, and loud and present. It is not that way with Jesus. Jesus always was and always will be. He is preexistent of our world and eternal, um, which is one of the things that this heresy was denying. But Jesus is from the beginning. And then, so like John has a bunch of clauses here. He starts with that which was from the beginning, referring to Jesus. And then he starts talking about, like, our point of view. So, Jesus is self-existing as a starting point, and then two, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, watch this. There's a, there's a phrase in our culture. Seeing is? Yes. Um, actually, the Bible would go on and say, blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? But like in this case, John is saying, hey... I know folks around you are telling you this, but I personally saw Jesus. I talked to him. I heard his voice. I spent time with him. So not only is Jesus like this eternal, huge God, but he's a God that's right here. And that is a big deal for us personally because, um, I don't know, have any of y'all ever been miserable and broken and the world was as screwed up as it could get or you've screwed it up as bad as it could get? or what have you, and you back up and you're like, where are you, God? Like, and it seems, it seems like there's nothing but quiet out there. And like John is 
telling us outright here, Jesus is a man who stepped into our world and he was tangible. Um, he is God who has stepped into our world and seen with our eyes and, and spoken with the same voice we speak with. He, he was abandoned by his friends. Um, he hurt the way we hurt. Like he, he carried everything we carried and, and more. Um, and so he's a God that understands us, right? This isn't really John's point, but I'm mentioning it right here because it is a big deal. I mean, to me, it's a big deal. Is it a big deal to any of y'all? Like the idea that God knows what it's like. Um, so we, we go on, like he says, hey, I saw all this stuff. And so no matter what any other teacher is saying, understand my testimony is pretty, pretty weighty, right? If I, uh, if I uh, were to read a book, I just read a book on, uh, on uh, Germany, World War II Germany, and about Hitler and all this other stuff. And it was, it was about, like, um, you know, investigating some crimes that were committed um, during World War II, and, and, and the guy who wrote it, um, most of the book is quoting an individual who was there. That carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? I mean, like, if I were to write a book about World War II based on my experience of it, it'd be a pretty short book, right? I, I wasn't there. I mean, my grandfather was, and I don't think, I, I never talked to him about it, right? And we'd have to talk to somebody who was, like, like old enough to experience it, like Craig. Um, <laughs> um, so he says, listen, um, we were there, we saw him, we knew him and concerning the word of life. Now watch this. The word of life there, um, is a phrase that's used in the old Testament. And for a Jewish person, if you read word of life, you would know that this is sort of this reference to Jesus before the incarnation, right? He's saying the word of life is Jesus first off. Like, it's not just the gospel. It's just not just the message we've heard. It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the word of life. He is like we hear, we know, we experience, and we have life in a whole other way that is not possible without him. And, in fact, you can't separate Jesus the person from Jesus the message because the message that we believe, the message that we preach, the message that we teach is that Jesus, the Son of God, like God's um, sent man for us, reveals us God in his completeness. You can know God perfectly by knowing Jesus. Um, that, that this word of life, like they saw him and they experienced him. And so like, hey, we were there, we saw it, and we know about this message. Um, so verse 2. Wow, he's only on verse 2? Uh, <laughs> the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, this gets really dicey. The language gets hard. But watch this. It's actually pretty easy. First off, he starts first half of the sentence, and then this is like a parenthesis. Got it? This is a long sentence and a complex one. But in Greek, that's really normal. Um, the life was made manifest, meaning that like this word of life, this eternal connected to the Father before all time, forever, like Jesus, Son of God, like was manifest. He showed up and was one of us. He walked amongst us. He talked amongst us. He was there and we saw it. And what we're telling you, we're testifying to it, um, proclaiming to you the eternal life. Now, testifying to it, this is important because Christianity is unique in every world religion that ever was. Now, watch this. And here's why. This is huge. Um, Christianity is actually the only world religion where 
people talk about God as though they knew him and hung out with him, right? It's not like, you know, you read Greek mythology, and you're, oh, Zeus did this, and Zeus did that. It's not like, oh, I saw Zeus do this. It's just sort of this story they tell. John is saying, hey, I knew Jesus, and I spent time with him. By the way, John died in prison swearing that this was true. John was once boiled in oil because he wouldn't take it back, and he survived it. I mean, I'm going to tell you what. There is almost nothing in the world that I wouldn't take back if you boiled me in oil. Got it? I spilled coffee on myself this morning, and, <laughs> and I, I, would, I would probably take an awful lot back over burnt from coffee, like, like oil. Um, but John, John is saying, listen, I'm going to testify to this. I'm going to keep testifying it. I'm going to live my life forever. Like, this is the truth of what I experienced. This is the truth of what I saw, and nothing can change it. And why is that important? Because it is eternal life, um, to proclaim to you the eternal life. Now, for John and for the Bible, for the scriptures, like for the gospel entirely, to know God and to be in a relationship with him is to have eternal life. This is the essence of it. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. It is something that begins now. We talk about, you hear people say, oh, you know, one day when we're in heaven, in reality, like we walk with Jesus now, and eternal life starts now. I, I, uh, I will tell you, we only see it a little bit now, right? Um. Paul phrases it best. He says, like, looking in a mirror, we don't see it perfect. We see dimly through a mirror. And at the time, there was very few, like, good mirrors. There was a kind of mirror that I need where it's made out of steel so I can't break it. And it was a little, like, wavy and not perfect, like, you know, like looking at a, I don't know, at a hubcap maybe, the inside of a hubcap. I don't know. Um, but he's saying, listen, eternal life, like, like we're proclaiming it to you, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So like this eternal life, this word of eternal life, it was manifest in Jesus. It showed up in our world, and we could know what eternal life was and begin to walk in it. We could begin to experience it. Um, it could become a part of who we are. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, here's where this starts getting cool. And the second half of this, we're going to go next week, the second half of this chapter, he really digs into it. But that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed, meaning all of this stuff about Jesus, we've told you that you can fellowship in it. Meaning that like, there's a whole other level and like, degree of fellowship that comes with knowing Jesus. And we can know each other in a whole other way and be close to each other in a whole other way and know God in a whole other way by knowing Jesus. Um, was it I read? Uh, it was George McDonald again, like one of his sermons. He says, um, you can't really know, know, know the gospel by reading the epistles. Right? Like these letters that people wrote about Jesus. You want to know who Jesus is, you have to read the words of Jesus and understand them. And then it all makes sense. Right? It's a little like reading about Big Sandy. Right? I know that the fastest growing um, ethnic group in Big Sandy is Asians. Did you know that? I Percentage-wise, they are the fastest-growing ethnic group. I, I read that, and I thought, that's a little unusual. And then I moved here, and I learned that it's because there's like four Asian people. And when two more move into the community, and I'm not trying to be like horrible and offensive, I'm really not. It's just the truth. Like that, yeah, they are, I guess. You know, it's, that percentage doubled since I was here. Um, I, it... it 
I knew that there were four, four churches, five churches, five churches in Big Sandy, right? But I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know why there were two Lutheran churches, right? I didn't know, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff because reading it isn't the same as walking in this community and talking to folks and getting to know them and spending time with them and experiencing them. And that's kind of what John is talking about here. Knowing Jesus is more than learning the facts. It is more than hearing me talk. Um, it is knowing Jesus by knowing him. And we there are lots of ways we do that. Part of that, like the second half of this, this chapter, he's going to talk about walking in the light, meaning like living different because you follow Jesus. Right. I mean, there are a lot of folks who will say, oh, well, I know Jesus. Great. And, you know, you look at the way they live and you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, you can't judge people like from the outside. Only God knows the hearts of men. But like John says, look, you will know folks based on based on how they walk, based on how they live. You will know um, when I follow Jesus, when I experience temptation, and overcome it, which, you know, isn't as often as it should be. Um, <laughs> when I when I love my neighbor as myself, when I do things for people that that um, are difficult or uncomfortable, but I do them because it's what Jesus said I should do. Like, I know Jesus better, right? In fact, I'll even give you a good example of that. How many folks in this room are parents? How many of y'all knew what love was in a whole other way, like, in the first year of having your first child? Like, it changes the world, right? You suddenly learn that love isn't just squishy feelings inside, right? Love is waking up at 2 in the morning and giving them the bottle when you would rather just turn the monitor off, right? Um, it applies to all sorts of things. Actually, I think uh, um, Michael over here has taught me an awful lot during the time that he's been at the activity center because Michael is this, like, loving, like, good guy, and he has very, you know, a good heart and all this other stuff. But, like, like him serving the guys at the home... Like, just listening to him talk about it has taught me things about what it means to love folks. Um, and we've talked about it a lot, right, Michael? Um, <laughs> um, but to know Jesus, to have fellowship with Jesus, and to have fellowship with each other, it reaches a whole new level. Um, you are never, ever alone if you're a follower of Jesus. You're not. Because not only do you have Jesus with you, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but you also have brothers and sisters all around you, right? And as miserable as it may feel some days, there's no escaping it. Um, so going on, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. So like, yeah, I just said that, right? Everybody caught it? <laughs> that fellowship that we have with each other and with God as a result of knowing Jesus, like, it is complete. It is not a small thing. It is not a minor thing. It is everywhere. It is all about how we live our lives and what we become. Um, and it's inescapable. It's worth having. It is. I've been married for, come back to marriage as an analogy because it's how I understand a lot of the world. I've been married for 18 years, right? And as my wife often puts it, how many of them happy? <laughs> 11. I haven't cleared 11 yet. <laughs> wow. My, she'll say, oh, I, we've been married for 18 years, happily married for 10, right? Um, but you know what? Those 10 have been worth, you know, the difficult ones. Fair enough? You can't could say it out loud, honey. I don't look like too big of a jerk. Um, <laughs> the point being, um, 
coming to know Jesus, um, coming to walk with him is sometimes hard. It's sometimes difficult. It's sometimes a long road. It sometimes means giving up our way and our wants and our desires. But it makes us different, and it's worth the effort. Um, It's worth the investment. It's worth the growth. Um, Fellowship is not instant. It's hard. Um, But it's life-changing. And we write these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, So now, John is writing, and actually he's quoting, which is easy to miss. Um, If you know John... Uh, In the Gospel of John, there's a spot where he quotes Jesus. He actually, Jesus says this several times, and John quotes him. He says, um, like, for example, in John 15, 11, I've told you this, this is Jesus speaking, I've told you this, that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I command that you love each other in the same way as that I love you. Um, Another spot, actually just like less than a chapter later, this is 6, 24, You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Like what Jesus is talking about and what John is referencing here is this idea that to know Jesus is to have joy. Now joy is funny. Joy is not happiness. Joy is like happiness that doesn't ever go away. It's being happy when the world is falling apart around you and you're like, man, this is bad, but I still have Jesus. Man, this is bad, but God is still in control. Um... And Jesus connects it there, by the way, and I think John is doing the same thing here. Um, He connects it to this this love for each other, right? And so when we sit in this room, there are folks in this room that rub you the wrong way. Is it true? There are people in this room who have stepped on your toes. Um, If you can love the folks around you, despite those things, like you have this joy because you know Jesus in a different way. Because I'm going to tell you, Anybody in this room has sinned against me. I can't think of anyone at the moment, so I'm not talking about anyone in particular. But if anybody has, or anybody in my entire life who's ever sinned against me, has never begun to approach what I've done against Jesus. Fair enough? Um, and to learn to love folks who are difficult to you, to learn to love folks who are kind of unlovable, it fills you with joy. It gives you this other level and this knowledge of who Jesus is. It changes you. Through and through, it might be hard. It might be a learning process, which is miserable. Um, But like at the core of John's teaching, this book and um, John's gospel is this idea that we're called to love. Like we're called to love people who are jerks. We're called to love people who irritate us. We're called to love people who have the wrong political sign in their front yard. I know. (laughs) That's hard. But you know what? Like... Jesus transcends that stuff. And I'd rather have Jesus than anything else in the whole wide world. I'd rather have Jesus than my own vendetta. I'd rather have Jesus than my own agenda. I would rather have Jesus than anything else. And this is what John is saying um, as we dive into the rest of this. Oh, I got another, actually another verse here. Last verse we're going to look at. So that's five. This is from 3 John 4, by the way. Only one chapter, so it confused my wife. She's like, what, four? Didn't you already do this? What happened? Um... (laughs) I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, which is kind of maybe what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, I love you guys, right? As much as I love you guys, I'm filled with joy when I see you walking in Jesus, when I see Jesus manifest in your life. Um, As we kind of go forward in this series, this is sort of my introductory sermon, but I've got some application here. Don't worry. 
um, as we go forward in this series, like understand that the big things we're going to be discussing, the big stuff we're going to be touching on is this idea of who Jesus is, how do you know him, how do you find comfort in him, how do you find ongoing joy in him, um, and how does that play out in how you live your life. In the immediate, I want to ask you a question or challenge you. Um, are you joyful? Do you love the folks around you? Do people know who Jesus is by looking at you? Um, was it Gandhi who said, I, I love Christ. It's his followers I don't like very much, right? Because a lot of times we don't look like him. We aren't patient and kind. We aren't loving. We aren't all of these things that we're commanded to be because we're a work in progress. My challenge, my question for you is, are you in communion? Are you in relationship with Jesus in such a way that it's changed who you are? That when you encounter folks, they look at you and they're like, man, I want more of that, right? I, um, years ago, I was in, a, uh, in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was looking for a book for a paper, um, and I walked into this warehouse. It was Grand Rapids is horrible. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there, but it is, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, the outside. Um, <laughs> but Grand Rapids is kind of this, this, this run-down sort of nasty area. And I, I was looking for this bookstore, and it was in a, in a warehouse. And I walked into this warehouse, and there were gang graffiti all over, and it was burnt out and dusty and nasty. And it was, Abby was in a carrier, and I was carrying her along like, like little baby Abby. No heat. You could see your breath in the entire building. I stopped to use the bathroom on the second floor, like I'm wandering around looking for this bookstore. I stopped to use the bathroom, and there was a heater in there, which was very thankful for that, but it was chained to the wall so no one would steal it. Like, <laughs> and I finally found the bookstore. There was no electricity. Like, and I wandered around until I encountered a pit bull that the guy had there to keep people away, um, and he sold books on the Internet, I found out. But everywhere in this place was like these signs for a coffee spot, like a coffee place. And I, I asked the guy after he'd found my book and I paid for it. I was like, is there really a coffee place here? He's like, oh, yeah, it's great. You want to you go see it? And in my head, I thought, no. <laughs> I want to get to my car while the wheels are still attached. Um, and he's like, come on, come on. And he took off before I had a chance to say no. And I followed him up two more flights of stairs. And we walk out of the stairwell through three rooms through a large, unlit room with pieces of equipment covered in tarps, no light, still seeing my breath, and he opens a set of double doors, and it was like the nicest coffee place I've ever been in, and they were roasting coffee in there. So I walked in, it was warm, and they were like roasting coffee, and man, is there a better smell in the world than roasting coffee? Oh my gosh. And I, I sat down, and I was like, are you kidding me? They had Wi-Fi, and they had like... You know, and they said, oh, we're not open right now, but have a seat. Let me get you a cup of coffee. What? And I, I'm sitting there dumbstruck, and I, there was great coffee and everything else, and the smell was wonderful. It was warm, and it was beautiful. It was clean and everything else. And I asked the guy, I'm like, you guys can't be doing good business here. Like, I was afraid to come into this building. He's like, oh, it's standing room only when we're open. You wouldn't believe it. Standing room only. What? This is the way that Jesus ought to be in our lives. And other believers, when you encounter them, you're like, man, it was dusty, cold, and nasty over there, but everything's wonderful in here. And there are folks like that, right? In fact, I bet if you look around the room, there's a bunch of folks you know in this room that are like that, that you come in out of the cold and you run into 
oh, who am I going to pick on? Actually, Glenn and Anita, you run into them, and like you talk to them, and you just feel good talking to them. Isn't it true? Or you run into James. I ran into, I was over at Virgil, and James was edging in the rain because um, he's crazy. And I, I stood in the rain and talked to James. And, man, talking to James just, man, it's good. The guy cares about what's going on with you. And the guy, he asks questions, and he's, like, like concerned and, and engaged. Like, he's just awesome. Um, that's what it's supposed to be like. And that's what John is talking about. This eternal life, this bit of heaven that, like, comes out of us like a crying baby, and we're all happy that he's here. Um, it's a blessing. And so my challenge for you as you go out of here today, and I know I went way longer and I just started off on this rabbit trail and everything else, but my challenge for you today as you walk out the door, as you go out of here, as you step back into your lives, um, is to look at yourself and ask, you know, what do people encounter when they encounter me? Like, are they encountering eternal life? Are they encountering a little bit of heaven? Um, are they knowing who Jesus is? Like, am I manifesting that in how I live? Like, like not some, you know, silly plastic version of Jesus, but the real Son of God died for all men, loved the people who were crucifying him. Like, that guy washed the feet of the guy who was about to sell him to be killed. Like, that guy, am I manifesting that? People see that because I'm walking in that harmony. Is that, like, glowing out of me with everybody I encounter? And if it's not, like, what would you do to be like that? How far would you go to have it? We're going to close in prayer and I'll let you all go. Since it sounds like the baby's hungry. Stand up, we'll close in prayer. Right, stand up. <laughs> oh, we got to stand up. This is how I know who slept. Because there are all the people who are still sitting. Charlene. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I